Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. Thank you so much for joining us today. On today's episode, I'm joined by Archana Ayer, who's the Strategy Director at Weber Shandwick. She shares her experience working in India as well as New York and the differences and similarities in creating advertising strategies across culture, across teams, and across environments. It's a really interesting conversation. We get to learn about her approach for asking the right questions to create the right strategy, as well as how she looks at environmental scans to create something unique and powerful in an ever-changing world. It was a super fun conversation, and I really hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, Archana Ayer of Weber Shandwick. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I'm joined by Archana Ayer, who is the strategy director at Weber Shandwick. Archana, how are you today? I'm very good. How are you, Anthony? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm super excited to have this conversation with you. I've never talked to a culture vulture before, so I'm really excited to have that conversation. I don't know if you still go by culture vulture, among other things, marketing maven and, and the rest. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm very excited to be here as well. And yes, culture junkie is definitely part of my introduction. Beautiful. So why don't you um, tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do as a strategy director and some of your uh, unique and storied background? So I'm a dreamer, thinker, and as you just mentioned, a culture vulture. I was born in a small town in India. My passion for advertising brought me to Bombay, the city of dreams. I worked with two amazing global advertising agencies, Havas Worldwide and Mullen Lowe. I worked in India for about nine years, winning two gold and three silver FE awards for my strategy work. FE awards is considered the highest honor in advertising strategy as it is about how effective your campaign was against objectives. So the FE actually stands for effectiveness. And in a rather unexpected turn of events, I got the opportunity to move to New York City. In fact, uh, the day I resigned is the fateful day when America got its new president. Back in India, I was a huge fan of the famous HBO show, Sex and the City. Uh, have you seen that, Anthony? Uh, <laughs> I am familiar <laughs> with Sex and the City, yes. Uh, okay. So I idolized being 30-something successful and working in New York. Uh, so I packed my bags and here I am working as a strategy director at Weber Shandvik, which is an IPG agency. So at Weber, I create strategies for earned media, PR, and social for brands across sectors like consumer healthcare, CPG, healthcare, agriculture, etc. So now I have a total of a decade experience that spans across both the developed and the developing world. The transition from the East to the West has given me a really unique, more holistic perspective of the world. Can I imagine that within those cultures and not only developing strategy, but the approach to leading people is different in different cultures as well, yes? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, as you mentioned, it's two parts. One is how strategy is different, and second is how people and culture is different. So the first part, how strategy is different, is that in India or the developing world, the media was mainly print and TV. So 90% of the brand spends were on print and TV. But here in the U.S., digital spends have surpassed TV since 2016. And strategy for uh, digital is very different. It's always on. It's more engaging. There's a high level of buzz, interactivity, and engagement that's involved. So earned media is what, and PR is also something that's drastically changing. So when I moved here, it was like jumping 20, 30 years ahead in terms of the market that I'm in. 
In terms of culture, of course, it's drastically different. The audience that we are talking to, uh, the consumption patterns, even the underlining socio-political issues are also different. For instance, um, I work in healthcare and like the whole healthcare scenario here is quite different. And also, I would say that uh, culturally, New York is a very diverse environment. So looking at that multiplicity of personalities, of cultures, of talent, skill sets, and working with all of that and collaborating in that environment is quite exciting and it's really enriching. I can't even imagine what that would be like, but hopefully myself and our listeners will maybe gleam some of that. For you, it's like we have listeners all over the world. So from India all the way to New York, all the way to California, people dealing with different cultures, both within their local markets and those that are working with international team. That said, maybe I can ask, as I see it, if you're creating strategy, whether it's a marketing strategy or brand strategy or even just the execution as a team, what would you say the best practices you've seen for leading strategy internally? So with a team and working with different people and then viewing it with the lens that you both have USA, North American culture, and then Indian culture contributing to that. I believe that being a strategist is like living the enviable life of Sherlock Holmes. You must be familiar with those characters, right? The client comes with a case knocking at your door and what a strategist does, especially a strategist in the communication world, is hunt for clues within data, cross-examine culture, and analyze trends in microscopic detail. And then I dig deep into my mind palace to connect the dots between facts and human behavior. And voila, mystery solved. So I believe in being a convergent planner versus a divergent one. So the difference is that I look at the world we live in and try to apply my observations to solve the problem at hand versus the other way around, which would be the plan comes with the problem and then you look at solving the problem, but you should also look at the world around you and how that makes sense. So in terms of best practices, I think I would say that there are three best practices for leading strategy. One is simplify the complex, two, get out, and three, connect the dots. So let's start with simplifying the complex. So within a team, when we work or collaborate on um, a strategy, it's important that we all together define the problem well. And that is how we simplify the complex. Many times you get a huge download of information from the client. And it's important to learn to filter the meaningful from the insignificant. A strategy doesn't have to be always complex scatter plots or words that are difficult to pronounce. It's actually something that should be simple and it should be idiot proof. So that's the yeah, that's the first. The second thing is get out. I don't mean it like an insult, but what I mean is that no problem was ever solved in the four walls of your room. And sometimes we right four walls of your room, I mean the four four clients that you have. Sometimes we get stuck into that comfort zone of, okay, these are the things that I work on and we stick to that. But when you leave that comfort zone and when you go out and there is so much to learn and see in the outside world, which you can then apply to your strategy. For instance, attend conferences, go for networking events, read long form journalism, go to a museum, watch world cinema, watch a documentary. All of this is really relevant to a marketer because you can then use this to help your brand have a meaningful role in culture and society. And the third is connect the dots. 
So as I said, one and two are incomplete if we don't connect one and two. So the problem that the client has should be connected to this whole culture that the brand is surrounded by. And that's really important for a strategist. And that's how we become part of cultural conversation. Why it is important to be part of cultural conversation? Maybe a decade or two ago, digital was not this big. PR strategy was all about getting an article of the brand in the newspaper, and that's forgotten tomorrow. But in today's always on world, when a brand needs to have constant conversations on social media, it's important to be culturally relevant. And that's why I think these three are really, really important. Well, I could see how getting the message out and keeping it simple, keeping it top of mind, which is, you know, sort of the the key ethos within marketing. But then when it comes to like actually leading a strategy internally, it's basically the same thing. If you're a CEO or a VP that's creating a strategic plan as a team, your audience in this case is your staff or your stakeholders. And so you got to make it easy for them to get it the four walls that you create the strategy in, it's all just an idea. Like you're just guessing at that point. It's not until you actually go back and talk to your staff or talk to your stakeholders and get their feedback that, you know, then you say, oh, okay, well, maybe we were off the mark on that. Maybe it was on. And then the other part that I heard within all of that was when we develop strategy, any strategy, you have your four walls, like you said, and then you have the world outside it. And if you don't take into consideration that you live in an ecosystem, like in a dynamic ecosystem at that. And, and you alluded to the difference between the two key markets. But if you don't understand the ecosystem and you don't understand what's going on and have a, a finger on the pulse, then even the best strategy is going to miss the mark if you don't have that scope on there. And then, of course, connecting it all. I can even give an example of what I meant. For instance, the Fearless Girl campaign that came out, the statue of the Fearless Girl was actually installed one day before the Women's March happened. So it created this whole cultural conversation around the whole world. What that did is looked at what's happening in the world and then created something that's relevant. I got to be in New York and see that statue. And it was a, it was a really neat experience to see how people uh, reacted to it. And I guess in the world of marketing and branding is that, you know, you control half of it, in my opinion. The other half is controlled by the viewer. And some people said, oh, you know, this is oppressive. And some people said, oh, we love it. Some people said that there was like infringing in the rights of the bull, you know, saying, oh, okay, you know, yeah. and it's so interesting that the one thing can have such a different perspective on people. Yeah. Now, once you have that strategy developed, how do you get that strategy rolled out? And this speaks a little bit more to the actual culture piece of it. So developing the culture as a way to keep the strategy together. What's your experience uh, leading that with teams? Take a step back here and look at developing culture as a whole. And then let's look at, at like percolating that strategy through this culture. So when it comes to developing culture, my company as well as I personally believe a lot in diversity and inclusion. And I'm proud to say that our strategy team is a true reflection of this culture. Everyone brings their unique individual skill sets to make our team a success. For instance, I had never celebrated Secret Santa before, and my team did that just for me. And it and it's like big shout out to them for giving me that experience. I believe that the diversity that you see in the New York City subway car is the diversity you should have in your marketing team so that your organization is a true representation of your audience. Marketing has a unique role to play in rewriting the rules on diversity in business. And there's tons of research pointing out to how diversity makes for more effective teams. Because modern day agencies are 
strikingly different from the Dawn Draper's Mad Men days. I mean, in 2008, only about 3% of creative directors were women, but women now represent 29% of creative directors and 39% of advertising executives. The marketing industry is changing a lot, and we still have a long way to go, but cultural diversity and inclusion will help us get there. So, for instance, let's take the example of a campaign like Fearless Girls. If you get perspectives from different people, different audiences, uh, age, gender, race, etc., you'll be right about this campaign. Another campaign that didn't do this very well would be Pepsi, the, the Kendall Jenner ad. Now, they were meaning well. They were trying to, they wanted to get a good message out. But understanding the nuances uh, of culture and, you know, making sure that they don't trivialize certain issues. And those things can be assured if you take perspectives from different people and do in-depth market research in executing your strategy. So that is something that I would say is important in culture today. Got it. So like from a leadership perspective, ensuring that within either the creative director space or the board of directors or even on leadership teams, like obviously, you know, there's a lot of powerful women out there, but still a non-equal representation. And so what I hear from you is if we approached our boards and approached our teams as diversely as we did a New York subway car, that we would have the range of perspectives such that when you get into the execution piece, you have a higher, like, they say higher likelihood of success, but at least you have different perspectives to better understand how that communication or that plan might land. Exactly. I'm really starting to get the world of Sherlock Holmes here because you're taking all the little elements and making sure, okay, cool. Like what would happen if this happened and get to the bottom of yeah. it. So building a strategy out and obviously, you know, you've referenced some successful and some less successful strategies that have been created. What are some of the risks to avoid in the planning process when you're putting all of this together? And one of the things that you said by, you know, having a, a myopic view of the issue um, but what are some of the other risks to avoid when, you know, creating a strategy with your team, both internally or for a client? I think the greatest risk in marketing is not to take any risk at all. Playing safe or um, being afraid to ask questions is the biggest obstacle to doing groundbreaking work. And so I would suggest that sometimes it's good to challenge status quo ask a few questions and maybe look at the problem differently and like question, is this really the problem that we're trying to solve or is it, is it something else? I believe that creativity thrives on fearlessness and therefore not taking risks is perhaps the greatest risk. Creativity thrives in fearlessness. Yeah. That's a quotable if I've ever heard one. And that's how where innovation, you look at the companies that are around, like really great companies have done things that no one has ever thought of before. Because I think that, you know, the process of asking questions and what are some of the questions that you would ask when you go through that process and say, okay, how do you turn things on their heads or uh, approach things differently in your experience? It's a global brand in, and it's headquartered in UK. It did phenomenally well in the developed world. But when the brand came to India, it was all about um, children. It's a laundry brand. It was all about children getting dirty. And that is good because they learn or they experience things through play learning and experiential learning and they got dirty and therefore that is good. Somehow that campaign didn't do that well. I mean, when we tested it, it didn't do that well. But the real reason why it didn't do well is like it's a different market and moms in India were okay with their kids getting dirty if it was for a good cause, if it was for something like that child helping someone or being kind to someone. 
So when we made that small shift, the brand was a huge, huge success in India. So challenging that, challenging that, that global proposition and seeing how it can work differently in a different market is one example I can think of of where you try to challenge status quo in order to create something better. Okay, so like, def- I mean, defying conventional wisdom and looking at just a different a different perspective in it, but like approaching a common theme and a common thought, and then I guess flipping it on its head by just saying, okay, cool. What could that look like? In terms of execution? In our work leading strategy meetings, sometimes we find that people have their views, I would say skewed, but the past is how people got to where they are right now. And looking at the past as a dictator of the future. Whereas, you know, by questioning and by looking at the things like you have with the dirt is good campaign, you know, something that was historically bad, dirt is bad, we're selling laundry detergent, you know, saying, cool, well, that was in the past. What do we want to create in the future? What could this new future look like if we created it just like right now in this moment? What would a world look like if dirt was good? Right. I think the biggest weapons in that would be data. So as marketers, market research and data would would be your weapon against challenging conventional wisdom. That's why we see a huge increase in proliferation of data science and data analytics in today's marketing world. Like strategy teams are hiring separate analytics people. They are, they're creating a, a separate analytics department. They're hiring chief data officers and chief digital demand, digital officers, because now, in the world of digital, there's so much data out there which can actually help prove things right or wrong. Previously, it was based on experience or this is the general pop cultural belief that, you know, XYZ is true. But now there's data to prove things. And that was, in fact, one of my topics at South by Southwest um, was hinging around this area. I, I moderated a panel discussion at South by Southwest for my agency, Malin uh, early this year. And it was called Cozy with Cookies, Our Brain and Behavioral Targeting. It was about how the cookies on the web can impact advertising, and it can also impact the way people feel about themselves based on how these ads project them. I read the primer to it on your LinkedIn page, and I encourage anybody else to go to check it out. And I didn't get a chance to see any further than that, but how it removes cookies. So cookies, when you visit the website, it plants a cookie, and then it can sort of track you around the internet. So if you've been seeing those ads, it's not by coincidence. But then what I got from your summary of it is that it removes the spontaneity a bit in the purchase decision because they're sort of, you know, you're really like leading people to where you want them to go. And it sort of removes something from the everyday happenstance of life. Would you, is that like an accurate summary? Is there something I missed? Advertising on the internet is very personalized. What you see on the web would be different from what I see on the web. And that creates an echo chamber. So I'm surrounded by things that are similar to me. But I'm missing everything out there in this world, which is not similar to me. And that makes us all go retreat into our silos. The election results were actually an example of how that happened, the, how the, the red and the blue states were so in their own echo chambers that they didn't realize that the other even exists. And that is all happening because of things like cookies. Even, for instance, you have top 10 trends on Facebook, the trends that you see would be different from the trends that I see. So my topic talked about how the this new form of advertising, which is behavioral targeting, affects our psychology 
And it also touched upon uh, privacy. So, for instance, there's so much data out there on the internet about you. It can predict things like, will you turn into an alcoholic or not? Do you have postpartum depression or not? Like, It can find you, are you a type A personality or a type B personality? It, based on your tweets, people can, I mean, the data scientists can predict things like that. So it raised questions about privacy, personalization, echo chambers, things like that. And I had panelists from Google, from Mountain View office in California. I had a consumer insights manager from Google, Jen Goldbeck, who's a TED speaker and data scientist and professor from uh, the University of North Carolina. Well, you definitely got some smart rooms looking at the nexus of consumer behavior and human behavior and how that translates into how to get people to do what you want and how the things like the primers that you put in there will affect people's decision making. So I imagine it must have been a very interesting panel to listen to or to moderate, yeah, I suppose. It was, yeah, it was very interesting. And I was very new to the country. I was just three months old. And so it gave me a, a very good window to a different country. Well, I, I hope it was valuable for you. Welcome to America. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think one, one of my last questions is, is going to be, and I think it builds on that last topic, talking about data. And I really want to get into aligning strategy. So when you have this idea, you create the idea. And, you know, for our listeners here, many of them are creating their internal strategic plans, which means creating their vision for what they want for their organizations, putting a mission and strategic priorities together, and then executing on it. So in your experience, when you create this strategy with your team, how do you align the strategy and then the, the performance and the measurement of it? Unfortunately, far too often, strategy has been retrospective, especially when you're writing case studies. It's been, okay, these were the results. Now, what were the objectives? When it should have been the other way around. So the first step in aligning strategy to performance is to start your project with the goals. And when I say goals, it should be business goals and not marketing goals. Marketing goals come second. So let's start with the business goal of what this brand wants to achieve. Is it sales increase? Is it taking share from someone? Is category growth? And once you've established that, then you come to the marketing goal. After that, we should define very clear measures of success. And these measures of success should be quantifiable and not qualified. So the term is KPIs or key performance indicators should be numeric in nature. For example, 20% increase in sales or uh, X percent increase in awareness is a good measure of success. But something like I want a lot of likes on this YouTube video or I want Beyonce to retweet my campaign is not a great uh, measure of success. Although it's great, but it means it's not a good KPI. Secondly, it's good to do a pre and a post test before and after your campaign. So once you begin, before that, let's look at what are the numbers. Then after the campaign performance happens, take a look at the numbers and then put them next to each other and see, have you performed your objectives against your goals? And lastly, I think it's important to be involved throughout. A lot of time it happens that strategy comes in the beginning write the brief, um, you know, establishes the goals. And, and then when, it, when execution happens, there is not enough conversation between strategy and execution. But it's good to have to be involved throughout the project and keep a track of performance. So starting with a the goal, then making sure that it's measurable, 
So having KPIs, one of the structures we use at SME Strategy is moving from X, which is our current state, to Y, which is our desired future state, by date. So you know we're here, we're trying to get to here, and then that's how we're actually going to measure it. And then that breaks into SMART goals. Doing pre and post recap or summary um, in the project management methodology, it's, you know, really like setting lessons learned and things that you got from it and how you got to where you are. And then really getting involved throughout and not setting it and forgetting it. Because if you just like let it go on its own, then if it's off the rails in two or three weeks, then, you know, you're not going to know about it until it's too late. So really what gets measured gets managed. So really managing it so that you have a higher likelihood of success because that's what, you know, that's what execution comes down to. It's really great to have a, a plan, but it's another thing to execute it. And that's where many managers uh, I've seen fall short in their strategy creation. Is there anything else that you would recommend to a CEO or a manager who's responsible for leading strategy in a team, something actionable that they can take away out of our conversation today? Yeah, absolutely. Firstly, I have a lot to learn from a CEO or team leader in strategy. But from my perspective, I would ask them to look at the changing world and the changing phase of marketing. Marketing has a unique role to play in rewriting the rules of society and economics. Brands are expected to step in and play an active role in society and issues like climate change or gender equality. Brands have a social responsibility for their consumers and stakeholders. That role is no longer confined to not-for-profits and governments. So when Airbnb, for instance, said, we accept, it is not just selling a room, it is sending out a message to the world. So to marketers and leaders, I'll ask them to be cognizant of how rapidly our industry is evolving and ask them to be a step ahead of this change. So think of strategy as not another spoke in the wheel, but as the engine that kickstarts the vehicle of change. Don't follow the next big thing, create the next big thing. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The challenge has been posed to you. Create the world that you want to see. We all have the power to make the world the place that we want to live in. And it starts with us. It starts with the ones who have the power to, to make a change. Don't take that power lightly. Yeah, that's right. Don't be status quo. Where can people get a hold of you? I'm available on LinkedIn. And I'm also there on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at A-R-K-A-N-E, Arcane. I'll put your link in the show notes so people can uh, connect with you if you want. And I'm sure a lot of insights to share uh, moving forward. And, you know, in a world that's evolving and changing, I really look forward to seeing what you create in the world. So thank you so much, Archana. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much, Anthony. It was lovely talking to you. So uh, I've been chatting with Archana Ayer, who is the strategy director at Weber Shandwick. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Today, I was joined by Archana Ayer who's the strategy director at Weber Shandwick. If you enjoyed today's episode, I invite you to rate us five stars on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or share the link directly with somebody in your network. If you're looking to create a strategic plan that takes advantage of the external environment and you can build on your core strengths to create something really unique and special for the world, I do encourage you to check out our strategic planning starter kit. It's individual walkthroughs of each step in the strategic planning process, and all the documents, tools, and templates you need to create that strategic plan with your team, as well as tutorials on how to lead your next strategy meeting. And you can get that at www.smestrategy.net slash starter kit. Once again, my name is Anthony Taylor, and thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Until next time.
I hope you enjoy today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast.